Welcome to Elephants in the Room on Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM. Here are your hosts, Joe and Kendall. You know, ironically enough, last week we got in here to record Joe at about 5 o'clock, and I, I started the show with a little bit about how the Verizon Tower was down, but don't worry, Radio Free Hillsdale never goes down. <laughs> Not 30 minutes later, Joe, the power goes out, uh, shutting down the station for, what, two or three days? Yeah, but that being said, the episode that we recorded last week never, never unfortunately made it out onto the air. However, you can find this lost episode at elephantsintheroom.transistor.fm slash 14 for this specific episode, or you can just elephantsintheroom.transistor.fm for our general studio page. But anyways, if it wasn't clear, you're listening to Elephants in the Room. We're your hosts, Joe and Kendall. We're joined by Mr. Charles Babbo today. Say hi to everybody. Hey there. How you doing? This week, we've got a fair bit going on from some local stuff in Hillsdale, you know, the ice storm and Mike Pence visit today to the college as well as the FBI dropping news that, yeah, um, COVID may have been a lab link, um, and some information about Lori Lightfoot. So why don't we go ahead and jump right into it, Joe? Yeah, so uh, in Chicago, uh, we have the the uh, May, mayoral, is that how you would say that? Mayoral. The mayoral, so. the mayoral election has, uh, I guess, not necessarily concluded, but the extent that uh, Lori Lightfoot had any sort of a shot <laughs> in that has concluded, and uh, she actually got... Not second, but third place uh, with only 17.1% of the vote. So everybody hates her. Um, <laughs> and then this comes as Paul v- Velas uh, with 33.8% uh, ended up carrying uh, that vote. Uh, however, it did go on to a uh, runoff as Brandon Johnson ended up carrying about 20%. So uh, no candidate was able to break that 50% threshold. So Velas and Johnson uh, will be advancing to that runoff election. Lori Lightfoot, uh, you know, seeing that uh, she uh, had lost to a fair race, conceded. <laughs> and, uh, you know, she knew that it was because of her policies that people did not like. No, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> she said, and I quote, I'm a black woman. And let's not forget, some folks, frankly, don't support us uh, in leadership roles. <laughs> Okay. Well, yes. Uh, Lori Lightfoot is not taking this too, uh, too lightly, too uh, well. Um, but, you know, let's, let's look at that. I, I think that it's important that we, we, we realize that uh, since her election in Chicago, the city has had 2,278 homicides and over 9,000 people have been shot. Uh, ironically, she ran uh, initially uh, under the platform of reducing crime. Uh, vowing to make Chicago the quote safest big city in the country, and uh, well, obviously she has <laughs> she has not done uh, a, a good job of that. She she even no. went as far as to tell people uh, uh, not to vote, and we have audio of that. Any vote, any vote coming on the side side for somebody not named Lightfoot is a vote for Chewy Garcia or Paul Vallis. That's it. That's it. <laughs> if you want them Number controlling two. your fate and your destiny. Then stay home. Mm. Then don't vote. <laughs> I love how, you know, they. she says that, oh, if you don't vote for me, it's a vote for the other guys, which, you know, pretty common and, and political said, yeah, rhetoric. <laughs> and they say, woo, woo. They're clapping. And then she says, if you're not voting for me, then don't show up. And all you hear is the, the guy recording the video go, mm. And no more applause. She says, then don't vote. And again, still, still no applause, no nothing. Um, just hilarious stuff there. Uh, she since walked that back saying that's that's not really what she meant. But I don't know. How you? She doubles down. It's not like she said, "Then don't show up." It's not like she said that and was like, "Oops, I didn't mean it." She said, "Don't vote." 
And I quote, don't vote. Uh, but Joe, you're, you're forgetting the, the fourth candidate in this race. Uh, Jesus Garcia got 13.7% of oh, the vote. Oh, man, no surprise there that Jesus loses the Chicago election. <laughs> okay, no surprise. I'm sorry. But yeah, you were, you were pointing out those percentages. And, you know, as I think most people are aware, Chicago's a pretty big city. Uh, Paul Vallis beat Lori Lightfoot by almost 100,000 votes, um, which is huge. Now, the going theory is that Lori Lightfoot and Jesus's votes they're, what is that, a, about 30% collectively will possibly go to Brandon Johnson in the runoff. We actually have more information about these candidates um, here in a minute. But, Mr. Babo, if I'm not mistaken, you're from the city of Chicago yourself, are you That's not? That's right. Yes, I am. So do you have any insider information this, about— This must hit close to home. If it not, really it, it hits home for you. <laughs> this election is actually very interesting. It's the first time a, uh incumbent mayor has actually lost in decades— the candidates are very interesting, actually. Of course, they're all, they all have to run under the Democrats' <laughs> banner. Uh, not much choice otherwise. Paul Vallis is marketedly moderate, very pro-police, which is interesting because the vast majority, I believe 50.5% of everyone's concerns in this election was about crime. Mm-hmm. That's not something you typically see. Well, if you have uh, if you, I, I also don't think you typically see like two, uh, almost two and a half... A uh, thousand homicides and you know nine thousand people shot in yeah, a typical it city certainly doesn't help. So, yeah, I, I think I'd be a little bit concerned about crime. Yeah, this is mm-hmm. the worst crime rate since the 1990s. Oh, yeah. yeah, but yeah, as as Charlie was talking about, um, Vallis is technically a Democrat, um, but some of his positions. He said in interviews in the past that he's personally anti-abortion, but in this election, he said that he'll protect Chicago's status and as as an abortion safe haven if elected. One big thing is he wants to start enforcing and prosecuting misdemeanor crimes ignored by the state attorney's office. That's been one big thing, not only in the city of Chicago, but also in Illinois as a whole, um, That and as well as you know other liberal states and cities like California, where like low-level crimes, um, a lot of places, thefts under $1,000 just yeah, aren't say, prosecuted. That... And so he's, he's running on the platform that they will you know start prosecuting those and hold people accountable. Another big thing that Lori Lightfoot um, has done is she's been rather anti-police in her time, as, you know, most Democrats have. At one point, she even told city officials to offer police officers the minimum amount of COVID disability pay rather than what would typically be given to first responders. Um, But Paul Vallis wants to grow the size of the police department back to what it once was and even bring in um, some possibly retired police officers to help police officers to help bring that force back up to its to its full strength so that they can continue to prosecute crimes like this. Um, on the other hand, Brandon Johnson, um, he, he's denying wanting to defund the police, but he says he wants to invest in the people. Um, so not entirely clear that he actually doesn't want to defund the police. Um, I've heard him characterized as basically Lightfoot 2.0. So if he gets elected, sure, Lori Lightfoot's out, but uh, may not see the massive change that you're hoping for. Have you guys uh, have you guys read uh, The Shadow Over Insmith by H.P. Lovecraft? I can't say that I have. <laughs> can't say I have. Oh, my goodness. Well, if any of our viewers have, I think that uh, Lori Lightfoot might bear a, a very strange resemblance to one of the fish people in, <laughs> in Insmith. I just wanted to put that out there. I'm sure some niche guy of, like, the three oh, people yeah. that listen to our show <laughs> is laughing real hard about that one. 
But yeah, if you remember back, Lori Lightfoot was also pretty heavily criticized for her handling of the COVID and lockdowns. I really wish this were a visual program of some sort so that we could play the video of uh, when her and one of her employees dressed up as the Rona destroyers <laughs> and these superhero costumes with like Lysol capes and saying that they were going to destroy destroy COVID and then, you know, uh, implementing basically zero policies to actually um, open the city up and, you know, keep things going. So, so there's that. Quite a character she is, but it's just really unfortunate that she's, she's gone now. You've been listening to Elephants in the Room on Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM. We're your hosts, Joe and Kendall, joined by Charlie Babo. Since we're just speaking about COVID, um, Joe, I believe you have some, some new information recently released from the FBI on that matter. The, uh, the FBI has uh, suspected now, they, they've come out to say that they've suspected for a while, the origins of COVID may have... Uh, been from a lab say in china what yeah no what they're thinking that might be true that might be that might be true uh in fact i i know two days ago three days ago uh the u.s energy department uh actually came out and officially concluded that uh they had believed that it had most likely arose from a laboratory leak um and this was according to classified intelligence reports recently released uh and provided by the white house to key members of congress we actually even have a clip of uh, the FBI director, I believe, yesterday, uh, basically confirming the legitimacy of these beliefs. The FBI has for quite some time now assessed that the origins of the pandemic are most likely a potential lab incident in Wuhan. Let me step back for a second. You know, the FBI has folks, agents, professionals, analysts, virologists, microbiologists, etc., who focus specifically on the dangers of biological threats, which include things like novel viruses like COVID, uh, and the concerns that they're in the wrong hands, some bad guys, a hostile nation state, a terrorist, a criminal, the threats that those could pose. So here you're talking about a potential leak from a Chinese government-controlled lab that killed millions of Americans. And that's precisely what that capability uh, was designed for. So, yeah, I mean, like, I mean, they're, they're coming out and saying it, but uh, I know that this has been on, on the tongues of a lot of the people who are on the right wing, who mm-hmm. are kind of silenced as these conspiracy theorists who were originally saying that, uh, you know, this thing could have very easily come from a lab in China. And if that's the case, this does sort of open up any sort of uh, national security concerns that might be um, surrounding this and uh, definitely lends credence to some efforts by the former administration to uh, hold China accountable mm-hmm. uh, for all of the uh, costs uh, in terms of what we spent fiscally as well as, you know, what we've had to expend in terms of loss of life that uh, this mm-hmm. virus has caused. Yeah. I mean, when I saw this news, I kind of just scrolled past. It I was like, OK, yeah, big whoop. We we all already kind of thought that. And then I paused and I was like, wait a minute. They're actually like admitting that, yeah, we we think that it came from a lab and um, we've known for a while now. I guess my question is like, how long have they known? Because Fauci and um, some other leaders and um, the COVID response and stuff were questioned um, by Congress and several different committee hearings about the possibility of this being a lab leak or if the U S was funding gain of function research in China. Uh, For those who don't know, gain of function is basically experiments on a type of virus to like make it, more infectable or mutated in certain ways that could possibly be used to turn into a bioweapon. So obviously something that the U.S. probably should not be funding. 
Um, and, you know, pretty much unanimously, everybody's like, no, 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 no. There's no way it came from a lab leak. But how long has this information been out? And now why did they just now give it to to give it to Congress is really unclear and a little bit a little bit scary, if you ask me. Oh, well, thank you for that explanation. I, I, I regrettably did not know what gain of function meant. So <laughs> now, I kept seeing that everywhere. And I'm like, oh, man, that's so bad. As you mentioned, Joe, the last presidential administration, the Trump administration, uh, had a lot in the final days, um, if you would like to call it that. But speaking of that administration, I believe that you guys just heard from the vice president. Is that is that correct? It is correct, actually. Um, actually, no, former vice president, I should say. <laughs> but yeah, no. Uh, so Mike Pence uh, graced the wonderful people of Hillsdale, the wonderful students, with his presence uh, just recently today. And uh, Charlie and I had the pleasure of going to see him speak. Uh, and, you know, it was, uh, it was quite the experience. I, uh, it was interesting to hear what he had to say after all this time. Um, you know, I, I, don't, I don't really know anything... Uh, interesting. It, it was. He was talking about. Um, he was talking about faith and the importance of of keeping faith uh, in con. I think he put it largely in context of a political career. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, a lot of a lot of. Uh, I don't know. I've I've heard it called a rousing speech. You know, uh, <laughs> with a hopeful message. Uh, I I did notice he had like a little a little jab at at Trump in there mm-hmm. that uh, you know he I think he put it. Uh, we need to like reject populist. Uh, cult of personality that's influencing the conservative movement and i'm like yeah okay that's tr- that's that's tr- <laughs> but yeah no you know an in- interesting stuff i would say you know pence has not historically been my favorite guy but mm-hmm. interesting stuff yeah, yeah it was a really good speech um i think we spent more time waiting for it than we did actually <laughs> that's listening true. to it but. that's true it's funny it was like freezing this morning and then i didn't realize how hot it was until i was sitting on the stairs to the christ chapel <laughs> waiting to get in with my uh, with my pea coat on, and it's like <laughs> 60, 70 degrees outside. Mm-hmm. Joe, as we talked about last week, you just happened to stumble upon a, a speech by Vivek Ramaswamy, who later announced that he was running for president. And you know, <laughs> you said at the time that it kind of sounded like a it could have been a presidential speech. Do you think that Pence's speech had any um, any sort of vibe like that that he may be considering running? Obviously, he said before that that he's not, but. Do you think that that after the speech, do you think that could not be the case? Well, it had a lot of the same elements as like Vivek's speech about um, wanting to basically laying out his hypothetical plan for how the country ought to move in a different direction. Um, Mm -hmm. Unlike Vivek, uh, you know, Vivek put a lot of that stuff in terms of we need a leader who Mm -hmm. and then like, okay, obviously, well, then I'm going to be that leader. Uh, But Pence was like it was much more advice oriented i would say i don't uh-huh. know if you agree charlie but it was much more like you know it uh as the next generation of america this is the stuff that you guys need to be focused on that's right it seemed like in a lot of ways pence was trying to actually purposely avoid you using any kind of language to uh, make it seem as though he would run for president maybe mm-hmm. just because he doesn't want to maybe because he doesn't want to announce anything yet but mm-hmm. yeah and you know that is a fairly respectable type of speech to give to somebody leaving office who, um, according to him, is not going to be running again, uh, more advice-oriented about, based off of my experiences in office, this is, I think, where the country needs to go, and not, like, putting yourself up there. It's like, oh, I did these things right, but, um, like you said, advice from the outside kid is what I think a pretty respectable position. Obviously, I wasn't there for the speech, um, but all things considered, um, seems a lot better than if he got up there and just you know, attack Trump or 
or something like that is I think some people might have been expecting. But um, all around sounds like a pretty nice time. I think a lot of people wanted him to defend himself, which he I don't he let a lot of other people defend himself. Um, he didn't really air much uh, in the way of that. Um, a lot of he need a lot of people want him to justify why it is uh, why he did what he did on January sixth. And mm-hmm. you know, for those who don't know, uh, many were expecting him to put up more of a fight in the certification of elections uh, data or in the certification of the election. Um, which he ended up not doing and uh, basically just allowed the process to go on undeterred. Uh, And a lot of people, including former President Donald Trump, were upset with him for doing that. Mm -hmm. Um, And he lost a lot of respect, unfortunately, with Trump's base because of that. Um, And a lot of people were looking for him to justify himself on why he did that. But yeah, no, he didn't really do a lot of that stuff. I, I personally don't necessarily fall in the camp of a lot of people who blame uh, Pence for doing that. Um, I, I honestly think that uh, given the circumstances, he did what he thought his constitutional obligations yeah. permitted him to do. However, you know, I won't necessarily say I, I agree fully. I think that there was a ton of outstanding uh, just in, in, in terms of what was going on and what he had to look with, there are a lot of discrepancies in terms of the delegates, um, a mm-hmm. lot of talk of decertifying certain individual states that mm-hmm. would have uh, basically changed the outlook of the election. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of cases that he, as the vice president, had the responsibility to put a stop in the process and here before uh, basically uh, certifying the election. Um, I, I certainly think he could have done much more, um, especially with how much was at stake. Uh, however, I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily fault him per se for anything that he did. Yeah. I tend to agree that, um, at least there's certainly an argument to be made that he wasn't super sure if he, um, had the constitutional authority or didn't, didn't want to overstep, which I think there's an argument to be made. Um, but it it has been somewhat disappointing to see how he's really like turned his back on Trump since then. And you can certainly also point out that Trump very much turned his back on him after that. Um, so it's not exactly one-sided, uh, but like you said, the the little dig at Trump in the speech, um, clearly clearly not on the same terms that they once were. I also think, like you said, him not exactly defending himself, um, which a lot of people seem to want him to. I don't know that that's um, entirely necessary, but I think he's smart enough to know that if he is running for office, you have to make you have to explain yourself in some way. So I think the fact that he hasn't really at all yet could be a pretty uh, big signifier that. That may not be um, in his plans, but who knows? I was actually pretty impressed with the speech. I came in definitely with a, an idea of Pence that wasn't so favorable. Mm-hmm. But I feel like even though he definitely does talk like a politician, yeah, <laughs> um, he seemed very genuine and he seemed very down to earth. Mm-hmm. Well, I'll be completely honest. Uh, I think that he seemed very genuine because he was at Hillsdale and he was at like a place that like prioritizes that kind of behavior. Like Mm -hmm. it was like almost like he was with his people. You like, like, you know, you would never see Trump in the Christ chapel at Hillsdale. (laughs) You know, you'd see him at, at a rally in, in orange County, Ohio, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, so I think that there are certain, and and, you know, like I said, I don't think that Trump could do well speaking to the more intellectually minded people here, I, I don't necessarily identify with that, but I, I kind of, as a Hillsdale student, you know, you and me, Charlie, being at the thing, we kind of 
put on the label. And so I think that it's easier for someone like Pence or anybody uh, who has the appeal of the more intellectually minded Republican non-working class vote for him to sympathize and talk down to earth, or be down with to earth with us on a much easier level than say the working class mm-hmm. uh, that I think Trump has a much stronger connection to. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I I don't know. You know, I, I think that uh, I, I think you're right, Charlie. I think he was very much uh, he very much seemed genuine on what he was saying. Um, but you know, I, I don't mm-hmm. know if that translates into political points or not. Yep, maybe it certainly does speak to the the quality of combination that Trump and Pence were. Like you said, they they almost like relate to different cr- crowds. Um, Trump, like you said, really gets you know people going, and you know usually like working class, not not necessarily co- co- always college educated or like academically um, or intellectually focused. Meanwhile, Pence can give much more like calm and um, more traditionally intellectual, what someone would call intellectual speeches. Um, so it really speaks to their combination. Um, and I think that's always been clear. I mean, after the 2020 debates, um, after the first one, which was a mess, then we get to the vice presidential debate and comparing uh, Kamala Harris to Mike Pence, who Mike Pence at that point was very much a, like, um, reigned in Trump almost, same policy positions, obviously being in the same administration, but um, a lot calmer. It really... Um, did work out for the time. It's obviously not a combo that I think will ever happen again, but um, it was good at one point. You've been listening to Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM. Again, if you missed our episode last week, it's available at elephantsintheroom.transistor.fm. Um, that episode that was tragically lost to the airwaves. We've been, me and Joe have been joined this week by Charlie Babo. Charlie, thank you for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. Mm-hmm. The pleasure um, was ours. Definitely. <laughs> We hope that you tune back in next week. This has been Elephants in the Room.